The Property Crowd. Hello and welcome to The Property Crowd with the Leaders Romans Group. Coming up on this episode. Most people would agree that there's a need for more homes, but there's many people who also then caveat that by saying, but those homes shouldn't be where I live. They should be elsewhere. And this. I think if you were to take a, a number of photos of Greenbelt and non-Greenbelt land and distribute those around the, uh, the general public, I think people would, would probably be quite surprised to what can be Greenbelt or what's in the Greenbelt and what isn't as well. All that and more on the way. Let's meet our panel for this episode. Ian Barnett is National Land Director at the Leaders Romans Group and Karen Charles, Planning Director at Boyer, which is part of the Leaders Romans Group. And uh, Karen, I guess on that point, planning is what we're going to be talking about here, particularly with Greenbelt, and that is the very essence of what you deal with daily. It is, yes. Boyer provide planning consultancy advice to um, a range of landowners, house builders, developers, and we advise on a promotion of land. Um, often for housing but other uses, through the planning system and securing and negotiating planning consents. And in terms of what is happening with planning, Ian, I mean, this is, every time we debate anything about property, particularly the expansion of property and housing and all that goes with it, all roads seem to lead back to the P word. They do, indeed. And I think it's uh, it's increasingly challenging and, and unpredictable as well. I mean, I, I used to be a planning consultant many years ago now, and uh, I used to think I had quite a good handle of, of planning and being able to, you know, kind of work through the planning system. But I think it's it has just become so unpredictable and so difficult for people to navigate now, and obviously so, so timely as well. It takes such a long time for everything to go through as well. So yeah, everything does go back to planning, and there's been you know, a, a number of different changes, different planning systems over the years as well, which are all sort of seeking to uh, increase how many houses we build ultimately, but also, you know, increasing the uh, the s- speed of the planning system as well. And, and I don't yeah. think any of the changes have really quite done that just yet. It yeah. is turning around an oil tanker, isn't it, in, in this world to try and change legislation. I, I, I noticed, Karen, that when the government were talking about levelling up, there were very few references to things like Greenbelt, when you might have thought that this would be far more central to that issue of levelling up. Yeah, because the government's policy on levelling up was really about um, investing and making and balancing effectively the opportunities that exist in the south with those in the north. So effectively levelling up of opportunities and doing that through investment. But the planning system is critical and key to that as well. So Greenbelt didn't really feature, as you say, um, in levelling up. Um, but it is, of course, an absolute central feature of the planning system. And one of the things that um, that controls the level and the whereabouts of growth um, that takes place in certain parts of the country. And Ian, what, what are we talking about in terms of size? When we talk, we hear people say green belt. What does that mean in terms of size? How significant is the green belt? Well, I think there's a few misunderstandings about the green belt as well. And everybody kind of just assumes that anything that's green or is not built on is green belt, whereas that's that's absolutely not not the case at all. I mean, I think I think there's a number of green belts across the country. I think it's about twelve percent of land is the green belt. So you know, as a percentage, it's not actually that high. And I think that is a bit of a, a misnomer and a bit of a misunderstanding. I think by a, a large number of people, not just those outside the industry, but I think probably sadly some within the industry as well. I think probably don't quite, or at least commentators on the industry and in the in the press just refer to you know the green belt as though it's you know is is everything that's not built on. And 
that's just that's just not the case at all. I think that's a fundamental misunderstanding, uh, and I think that's so deep rooted that it's it's quite difficult to uh, to kind of get that message across. And it's interesting because one of the facts that I, I noticed that you'd sent over just prior to recording this was that the green belt, the kind of term, the phrase, if you like, is a 1950s bit of legislation, and it's remained pretty much static and in place. This sort of immovable, well, the, don't go near the green belt. It's kind of that nobody dare, etc. And it's been obviously used to great advantage by politicians and the like. So it's been, it, it stayed where it is, and yet the population has increased by just shy of about 20 million in that time. Yeah, I mean, it's probably fair to say that, you know, there have been adjustments to the green belt since it, since it first came into place, albeit they've been done on a, on a more kind of, or sorry, not really a strategic scale. Uh, they've been done, you know, the local plan process. Um, so, for example, you know, Windsor Maidenhead, a uh, place like Guildford, you know, places which have, have got significant amount or have got significant amounts of green belt land. Uh, you know, there have been changes and I, and I think there have been other examples of adjustments to green belt boundaries across the country. So it's not that it hasn't been amended slightly, but I just think that, you know, the fundamentals of when the green belt first came into existence. And I think since then we've had, you know, we've had, you know, even the, the new towns program in the, in the 60s and 70s as well, and places like Basingstoke and Milton Keynes, which have, you know, which were just mere very small villages at the time when when the green belt first came into existence so i think there's, there's there's probably is a requirement now like any other sort of national policy to to actually you know revisit that and actually just you know i think the the call from a large number of people in the in the industry is to is to review the green belt not necessarily tear it up or change it fundamentally i think it's one of the it's one of the planning policies that i think you know most people are quite proud of you know i'm a planner by background as well and i think it's you know it's something that all planners are very proud of uh, it's, it's been a really successful policy so I think there's just a need to revisit it like any like any policy at any time, really. I mean, I mentioned there, Karen, that it's kind of has been perhaps a little politicised. It, it, it's kind of like mentioning the crown jewels, right? You know, the minute you kind of go there, people start to get itchy and start to green belt. You know, you can't build that, you can't do this, etc. Uh, without necessarily having a fuller understanding of, of what it's all about. Because you guys, you do a lot of surveying into areas where conceivably it is completely logical to build and you're not interfering with anything and you're not there to destroy anything um, so there are areas that have, have been identified that could be given a green light as far as you're concerned yeah there are i mean the purpose of the green belt is, is to control the growth of larger cities um, and towns and it you know, we're right in that the green belt policy has existed for many decades it hasn't really changed um, and it has been very successful and you know planners are very proud of that policy and it is a very tough test um, to demonstrate that there are good reasons or very exceptional circumstances why uh, planning permission should be granted for development in the green belt and it is often housing development where the additional pressure lies it's certainly been the case that getting consent perhaps for a school or a hospital or a university or or a, you know an international business where there is you know there's clear need for it um, can be proven and um, proving that need for housing has always been much more difficult because you know in some respects you can say well the housing can simply go elsewhere but we've got to remember that in some local authority areas where areas that are not built on the rest of it is all green belt so you have some authorities where you know in order to deliver any homes whatsoever they probably do need to 
um, to encroach into their greenbelt, to review their greenbelt boundaries, to allow some development to take place. And it's, you know, it's good and right to do that, but to do it through, you know, through a very carefully considered process rather than um, a reactive process. And that's the purpose of the local plan system, is to plan for growth and to plan to review um, greenbelt through that process. What is it looking like, Ian, uh, politically? Because there's no way around this. Different political parties have different ideas. Uh, there are some suggestions, depending on which survey you read, that we may have a change of government within 18 months. Keir Starmer could be the man at the top table. Are they say, Is he saying anything different about this? Uh, well, I mean, he's raised it, and I think it's probably one of the first times in recent years that the Green Belt has actually been even sort of mentioned in sort of mainstream sort of uh, political commentary. So I think that's refreshing to even see it being raised because it has been the proverbial political hot potato. But I think just just before I do, I think just one of those points that Karen just mentioned actually about how you know it is. We all know the green belt is very very political, and I think we all know there's a lot of misunderstandings about it. I think even Michael Gove fairly recently even referred to it as a landscape designation, which of course it's it's not at all. So there are definitely misunderstandings. It is very political, and I think those things have been very much uh, or become very obvious in the last sort of few years, and and even actually the you know the, the fact that it's it's now being talked about almost kind of say sort of almost grudgingly, I suppose. I think the the point that Karen just mentioned about green belt local authorities. I think where it becomes particularly prevalent in places like Waverley and Guildford, for example, places that we're you know particularly active in, where the local authority is is part green belt and part non green belt, and what we see there is areas which aren't in the green belt but are still within the same local authority, almost becoming a bit of a dare I say a bit of a, a dumping ground for housing, and that's not really plan led. That's just because of a you know a, a boundary, a green belt boundary, which are whilst there are tests for, for for what should and shouldn't be green belt. The lines are still pretty arbitrary. I mean, I think you know, I think if you were to take a, a number of photos of green belt and non green belt land and uh, distribute those around the, uh, the you know the, the general public, I think people would would probably be quite surprised as to what can be green belt or what's in the green belt and what isn't as well. And also just to make that sort of spatial point as well. I mean, just you know, you just have to look at a green belt map. I mean, there's there's large cities and areas. I mean, one of the main purposes of the green belt is to prevent urban sprawl. Well, you know, Exeter, for example, is a is a city, no green belt. Norwich City, no green belt. I don't know what, you know, why why certain areas are green belt and why they're not. And then obviously you've got, you know, places like I mentioned sort of Milton Keynes and Basingstoke places that have have sprung up and you know these green belt boundaries don't really have any political rationale so just you know, deciding them locally seems slightly slightly strange to me to be honest again it's the you know do, do some people not just want to go there karen i wonder when it comes to discussing this stuff and uh, what everybody surely can agree on is that we just don't build enough houses and i, I mentioned that you know the green belt coming into play in the 1950s which was also the decade when they said you know we'll build 250 300 houses a year and they did they made it happen and since then they seem to have not been able to make that happen no, I mean, there's a few things there. I mean, back in those days, we had to rebuild after a war and people needed quality homes um, and places with places they can bring up families and set up communities with homes and gardens and a better quality of life. Um, and the government did that. But actually, the government invested in that a lot. And it was driven by the government and local authorities today. And in, certainly in recent decades, um, house building has been driven by by the market, by house builders, by landowners willingness to uh, release their land to bring that forward. 
But you say about everyone, everyone agrees that there's a need for more housing. It's interesting. Most people would agree that there's a need for more homes. I mean, we saw recently the the announcement in net migration. And, you know, if you factor in net migration with population growth, then there's a whole lot more people year on year that need homes um, in this country. And we're simply not building the homes for them. Most people will say, yes, there's a need for more homes. But there's many, many people who will also then caveat that by saying, but those homes shouldn't be where I live. They should be elsewhere. I, I mean, I certainly live in an area where that's the almost the the national ongoing conversation where you, you see somebody as a proposal for 200 houses here and somebody will say, well, no, so you can't do that. It's near a park. It's near this. It's near that. And there's always, I guess, Ian, there's the, and you know this because you've been that, that planning person, it doesn't take much for an objection to pop up, right? No, absolutely. And, and and there will always be objections to, to anything, whether or not it's a, a dormer window or a, a strategic scale, uh, green belt release. I think there will always be objections. You're never going to please everybody. But what is very clear and what has become clear over the time that I've been in, in sort of planning and development, which is now, goodness me, what, over 16, 17 years, I think, it's you know, it's that there is need for a proper strategic scale review. I think there's been a lot of you know, say so I mentioned it earlier about sort of local you know, local authorities doing slight sort of changes here and there. But I say that the, the provision of housing is a national, you know, is a national issue. The three hundred thousand houses, I think, which was a, a target first actually coined by by Winston Churchill, as Karen mentioned in the in the post war in the post war years. So it's it's something which has previously had widespread support. And I think you know the housing crisis. Which you know is is very real. You know, I've got numbers of friends who've, who've had to move because of you know price um, or not being able to board where they want to live. We're not building houses. We're not building enough houses, and we're not building enough houses in the right places. And I think the only way that you're going to rectify that, any any government, anybody's going to rectify that, is by actually having a you know a, a proper strategic. You know, we don't have a national spatial plan. We don't have any regional planning. And I think recently, I think there was the, the Elmbridge um, examination. I think they were talking about you know 0.7 percent of the green belt to be released. I mean these these aren't going to these aren't going to tackle it. So I think it's quite refreshing that Keir Starmer, obviously, and this is assuming that you know the Labour Party even do get into government, which is, which I don't think is a, a foregone conclusion at, at all. But I think you know there the needs to be a serious adult conversation about what the green belt actually is, and actually you know educate people about it because i think there are so many misunderstandings about it and actually you know look at it look at it properly from a strategic perspective whether or not that is part of a a national spatial plan which might be a, a bridge too far for for, the, for this country which has never really had such a plan uh, lots of european countries do i think scotland i believe does or at least a, a, a national vision we've never really had that uh, and to to remove the regional structure of, uh, of governance in this country as well, which personally is, is not one that I, I, I supported. And we've been kind of left with a bit of a bit of a mismatch with kind of various kind of informal structures in, in certain parts of the country. There's no, there's nothing uniform about it. Whereas obviously when the Greenbelt was introduced, it was, it was a pretty, pretty uniform. It, it was, it is a, a national, a national thing. So really has to has to happen and i think regardless of which party's in in power i think that needs to be you know i think we're, we're coming to a bit of a crunch because you know the alternative is and, and what is currently happening is that whilst houses are being built albeit not enough of them they're not necessarily being built in the right places just because land isn't in the green belt so if it's 12 or 13 percent that's a lot of the country which isn't in the green belt well you know it's not that everything is 
everything that is green is green belt. So I think it's such a such a fundamental misunderstanding. And if we don't do anything about it, we're going to continue building houses in the wrong places, and there'll be areas which are in the green belt which will stay in the green belt and will never be developed for, for no real reason other than an arbitrary boundary. So most political parties will talk about encouraging communities to have a greater role in deciding where homes should be delivered and that's positive and there's you know there's good reason for doing that the problem with that you know as a political policy or as a a planning mechanism is that many local authorities will say well we've considered the need for housing and we decide that we want less homes in our area because they're more than happy for their neighbours or for some other part of the country to take the burden Um, so it's very difficult to say, you know, on the one hand, yes, we have a housing crisis, yes, we need more homes, but then deferring that decision-making process to the most local um, level, because at the most local level, people will say thank you, but no thank you. And it's an entirely false economy, really, isn't it? Because, I mean, the national conversation is, you know, house prices, the cost of housing, they keep going up. I know there's a bit of a wobble at the moment, but it's not, but we all know it's not permanent. Cost of renting goes up, and, you know, the short answer Karen is that we need more houses <laughs> that's often the same people with the biggest objections are the same people moaning about the cost of houses yeah but the and you're right the you know it's a simple factor of de, you know demand and supply and basic economics if there's a if there's a lack of supply in those areas which are um, traditionally greenbelt authorities i.e they're highly constrained um, those areas have not seen the level of housing growth that that has met need and therefore, they undersupply, therefore drives up prices. And therefore, you know, what comes with that is a, an area where there is a lack of affordability and people on more modest incomes, but doing essential jobs, um, essential jobs that everybody needs, you know, they are priced out of an area. Um, and then you've got a problem with your, um, you know, your public services as well, because people can't afford to live in those areas. And finally, just give us a, if you like, a prediction, Ian. Where where do you sense this? If we were having this conversation five years down the line, what is your kind of gut feeling on where we might be with this? Well, there's a there's an answer what I think will probably happen, and there's an answer what I think should happen, and they're probably two quite different answers. I mean, what I think should happen, as I've um, been been saying for quite some time, I think there does need to be a strategic review of the green belt in order to uh, release enough land in the right you know in the right locations and i think that really needs to be because we you know we've talked already about the the, the politics of it and that, and that being a something where people tend not to want to go personally it needs to be reviewed in a national way and it should be done under the guise of uh, a, a green belt review with an ambition of actually increasing the amount of land within the green belt from the you know 12 13% whatever whatever exactly it is you know possibly up to 20% and just say actually we're going to we're going to look at this properly and we're actually going to expand the green belt and i think that's something that we should do i think there's i've mentioned a, a number of places which don't don't have uh, any green belt for no real rhyme and reason they're urban centers so i think we should review the green belt sorry and expand expand it which will also involve you know releasing land around you know, stations and major roads and infrastructure, which is in the green, but which should accommodate housing. So I think we can actually tackle both. That's what should happen. What will happen? I don't have a crystal. I don't have a crystal ball <laughs> in. But I'm not. I'm not sure. Probably not a huge amount in terms of the green belt because I think it is something which people just don't really want to go there. Yeah, so sensitive, so politicised. Um, I agree with Ian. I think there is a need for 
um, a whole scale review and a whole scale reconsideration of of what Greenbelt is, what its purpose is, um, and and where it is, and the process for doing that is through the planning system. Um, but I think it's it's so political and it's such a difficult topic um, for people to grasp. That my fear is that actually five years time very little will have changed from the position that we're in today which you know is a concern because it will mean that the areas which lack affordability places too expensive to live in will just become even more expensive and it just has so many implications right across um, the sector for where people can afford to live um, and where people can choose to live and then public services and everything else that's why it's such a crucial topic Absolutely. Guys, uh, thank you. Ian, we will speak soon. Karen, thank you too. Thank you. That's great. Thanks, Ian. Nice to meet you, Ian. And that is it for this episode of The Property Crowd with the Leaders Romans Group. We'll see you on the next one. The Property Crowd. Find out more at lrg.co.uk.